The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So many, many people are interested in Jesus. Many people are somewhat open to what he has to say. Many people are religiously active. Uh, They respect Jesus morally. Many people are kind of open to Jesus. But some people are utterly devoted to him. They're devoted to him. They love him lavishly. What's the difference? What is the difference? How is it that you could be religiously active but kind of cold towards Jesus, respect him but keep him at arm's length, and what changes someone to where that just breaks and they love Jesus deeply and lavishly. So I am talking about kinds of people today. Religious, but keeping Jesus at an arm's length. Listening to Jesus, knowing some Bible, even going to church, but Jesus doesn't have the treasure of their heart versus somebody who's just overthrown. Devoted to Jesus. So two kinds of people. What makes the difference? But I'm also talking about um, my heart on a daily basis. Talking about your heart on a daily basis. True or false, some days you're more cold than other days. You're not as, his love for you is not as sweet. It doesn't seem so close. Or you you wonder. Or you just, you're distant. And other, other moments, maybe you felt that you're like, oh, I just, I want to live for you, Lord, whatever, just <laughs> blank check, my life, please take it. What's the difference? And we get to answer that question from this passage. We're continuing our study through Luke's gospel account, and we just see this incredible event today. I, can't, I love this story so much. We're going to see a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He's very serious morally. He's always at the synagogue. He knows scripture. He's interested in Jesus. He wants to listen to him. He's having him over. Party is going to be crashed by all people. His party is going to be crashed of all people by a prostitute. The contrast between these two characters could not be more stark. His party is going to be crashed by a prostitute. And in this moment, we are going to learn the difference The core difference between one who's cold towards Jesus and one who loves him lavishly. And what's so amazing is Jesus is going to say to all to us, he's going to say to all of us, learn from the prostitute. Learn from the prostitute. Wow. So let's learn. Are you ready? Let's learn. So verse 36, uh, you see the Pharisee invites Jesus over for lunch. Now you remember, Pharisees are religious leaders who believe God would save the people if they were just pure and religious enough. So if we can tighten, tighten the ropes on the boat here, if we can get things together, God will come and act for us. So they were very serious about purity and moral performance. They also tended to be very hostile towards Jesus because he says, Your whole system's wrong, you need me. They're very threatened by that. They tend to be hostile to Jesus, but we can't paint them all with exactly the same color because some of the Pharisees were more open to Jesus. You remember John 3, Nicodemus goes to see Jesus, 
And here this guy is named Simon. He has Jesus over to his house, so he's willing to have table fellowship with Jesus, which is a certain kind of friendship and intimacy. He's open to Jesus, and we get from this text the question he's kind of asking. Is this guy a prophet or not? Right? That's what he's asking. He wants to have him over lunch, listen to him, and discern, is Jesus really a prophet or not? How do we know? So you see, he's open, right? Somewhat open to Jesus. And then the unthinkable happens. Uh, if you can try to imagine this, so it would be common in the ancient world for a rich man in his house to have kind of a courtyard slash living room that was open to the larger community. So it's different from our context. Our houses are like castles. You know, we get in there, doors are shut. We're in there and it's just us. And if you invite somebody over, it's just you and your friends and people you invited over. Ancient world is different. So somebody would have a notable person over for a meal, especially if they were wealthier. And the, this kind of courtyard living room is open to the wider community. So it would be common for there to be passers-by looking in or somebody listening in. Or even the poor sometimes would hang out on the fringes. Hope to get, you know, leftovers. And so it's not, it's not um, unbelievable for somebody to kind of visit in on this conversation, especially because here you have a Pharisee. He's respected. Um, he's well known. And the Pharisee's having Jesus over for lunch after church. And so Jesus is the headline of every newspaper right now. So, so it's, it's expected that some people would come and just, you know, peek in, maybe get some leftovers. But this is unthinkable. Did you see who comes in? What does Luke call her, verse 37? And behold, who? A woman of the city who was a, a sinner. Now, we use this word in different ways. We could all say, hey, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. That's true. But the way this word is used here is it's more like a label. Um, it's a, it's, it has negative connotations. It, you're one of those kind of people. Especially bad sinner, not like the rest of us. <laughs> and uh, commentators all agree, this is a prostitute. Uh, this is a prostitute, and we're not in Los Angeles, we're in this little, this little Israelite city, which means everybody knows she's a prostitute. Everybody knows what she does. Everybody knows how what she's done has affected other families. Everybody knows. And so if you can imagine the oil and water of Pharisee and his house and a meal crashed by prostitute. The Pharisee looks at her and feels at her like, you're the problem with all of Israel's problems. Uh, I like what commentator Joel Green says about this. He says, the meal setting raises issues of ritual purity all the more since this meal is hosted by a Pharisee. The woman who enters Simon's house, whose sinful state is evident to all, listen to this, comes into this scene like an alien, communicable disease. So imagine, you know, Petri dish opened with some virus, and you're like, ah. And that's how the folks feel when this lady walks in to the dinner. And why did she come? She's looking for Jesus. She's hunting him down. She wants to know where she is. She wants to find him, and she wants to get in the room with him. She wants to interact with Jesus. She is looking for Jesus. More setting, it says they're reclining at table. 
In our day, right, we use tables and chairs. I kind of prefer that, to be honest with you. They did not have that luxury back then. They'd have kind of a, a, a lower table and then cushions, and you would literally would recline as you ate. So you got a lot of cushions maybe under your left shoulder, and you're reclining, and you're dipping and eating. That means your feet have to go somewhere. So you'd shoot your feet off diagonally behind the person who's next to you on your right. So I got my head here, and the person's over here. Their feet's back there somewhere, right? And I'm here. My feet are back there somewhere. Buddy's here. His feet are over there somewhere. You see what's happening? You'd recline like that because you don't want feet near your face while you're eating. Okay? Now, we all know that, right? You don't even need to say that. But especially in the ancient world, you don't want your feet near your face. Okay? We have these wonderful inventions called socks, shoes, showers. Praise the Lord. Can I get an amen? God is good. Okay? Back in the old days, you don't have this kind of stuff in the same way. And so when you're walking, you're walking on dirty, dusty roads. You ever had a pair of sandals you wore for camping all the time, and then you picked them up once, and you were like, oh, okay, it was ripe. Does any, am I alone in this? You guys aren't tracking with that illustration. <laughs> okay, anyway, imagine. In the ancient world, you're walking on dirty streets. There's animal refuse on the streets, sometimes trash on the streets. You walk everywhere. There's no air conditioning. You get there for dinner. Your feet are what you imagine they are. Where does this woman go when she finds Jesus? She goes straight to his feet. And Luke tells us she has a flask of ointment around her neck. Uh, this would be like perfume. And uh, it would be somewhat normal for Israelite women in general to wear these because they smell good. Okay, ladies, you want to smell okay? She would wear one of these. It would also be attractive looking, but especially for a prostitute, commentators say, th this, is, uh, this is very important. This is a mark of their trade. This is attractive to men. It makes them smell a certain way. It's very, Luke mentions it uh, on purpose because it's, it's kind of symbolic for everything that she is. And this is also probably the most expensive thing that she owns. So it's this is, a lot of symbol in this thing around her neck. And she comes over to Jesus' feet, and do you see what she does? Just think about this with me. Imagine this happening. She's standing behind him at his feet, and she's weeping, weeping. When was the, when was the last time you wept? I'll shed tears every once in a while, here or there. You get emotional, I love somebody, something happens, you know. But to weep, do you remember the last time you wept? Doesn't, doesn't happen to me often, but it, it has happened. And do you, do you remember just being overcome? Just overcome. It all got too much. And your body is like shaking. And the tears are flowing. And that is this woman just heaving with sobs over Jesus' feet. And then she does what would have been the unthinkable. She lets her hair down. In that day, only your husband is supposed to see your hair down. It's almost as if uh, you went out in your underwear. It has that, that scent of being over the top on intimate and inappropriate. But here's what she's doing with her hair. Do you see this? She's weeping her tears onto his feet and rubbing them and scrubbing them with her hair as she's weeping, so visceral, so 
passionate, so awkward, so lavish. And then you see what she does. She takes this greatest treasure that she has and breaks it open and dumps it on his feet. And now the whole room is filled with this scent of all this perfume poured on his feet while she's embracing, the text says, and kissing his feet. It's the same word that's used for the prodigal son's father when he embraces and kisses his son. That's what this woman is doing to Jesus. Feet at dinner in a Pharisee's house. And so everyone there would just be You just, you wouldn't know what to say. And Jesus is cool as the other side of the pillow. He, he seems to have this attitude like, if y'all really got this, everybody be doing this right now. Wow. So the Pharisee, he's taken aback. Pay very close attention to verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said, who did he say it to? To himself. Just put this in your pocket for later, okay? He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. For she's a, what is she, everybody? She's a sinner. So in his mind, Simon had this question, is Jesus a prophet? And now he just got the answer. And what is the answer in his mind? No way. Jesus cannot be a prophet. Why? Number one, a prophet would not let a woman touch him like this. Number two, especially this kind of a woman. This would not happen. He would, he would know the woman well enough to know you. No. This is unclean. This is over the top. This woman is transgressing cultural boundaries. No, no, and no. This is inappropriate. Jesus cannot be a prophet. That means I don't really need to listen to him. All my Pharisee friends are right. Jesus is off the rails. He's wrong. I love what Jesus says in verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, what's the first thing he says? Simon. And then he says, I have something to say to you. So everybody, I just want you to know, if Jesus comes right up to you, says your name, and says he has something to say to you, buckle up. Buckle up. I have something to say to you. I want to talk, and it's personal. Hey, Simon, let me tell you a little story. Verse 41, here's Jesus' parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? It's a simple story, right? You've got a money lender, so he's given money to others. This is money that belongs to him. One owes maybe a year and a half or two years of salary. So just get your salary for two years in your mind. Now imagine owing it. The other one knows, what, a month, two months, something, of salary. Just get that in your mind, two months of your, the money you make, and imagine owing all of it. And neither can pay. So that means by ancient world standards here, they can both be thrown into prison. 
This is how it works. The, the collector comes and says, pay up. They either pay up or he says, chain up. You're going to jail. And they cannot pay. So this is desperate. It's desperate, right? How desperate would you feel? Desperate. I can't pay. I have no hope. There's no way out. It's prison for me. It's, it's over. It's gone. And the moneylender forgives it. The, guy, the, the collector comes and says, you know what? The boss said, just forget about it. It's okay. How many of you are going to have a party or something? Because two years of the money I owe you? Just serious? Can we do I have paperwork on this? Like, you, you're going to let this debt just completely go. Yeah, it's totally forgiven. Both of you, the one who owes two years, the one who owes... Two months. Incredible. By the way, who takes on the cost now? Who endures the cost? The moneylender. The money just doesn't disappear. In the and then Jesus asked Simon, hey, you're a Pharisee, right? Which one will love the moneylender more? Simon, verse 43, well, okay. The one, I suppose. It's not hard. What do you all think? The one for whom he canceled the larger debt, and Jesus said to him, you're right, you got it. Now let me apply what you already believe to yourself. Here's what some, Jesus does something amazing. Verse 44, he turns toward the woman and he says, do you see this woman? <laughs> you should be laughing a little bit. What has Simon been staring at in awkward awe for, for 10 minutes, okay? All he can see is the woman. <laughs> what are you doing in my living room? <laughs> Not only does he see the woman, he thinks he sees the woman. What did he call her? You're a sinner. Heck yeah, I see her. She's dumping her perfume, her prostitute perfume, on my living room floor. And I know who she is and I know what she's like. Yes, I see her. And Jesus says, do you see what Jesus is saying? You see, but you don't see. You don't really see. Now listen to this. Jesus is now going to say to me, Simon, you're cold. And she's devoted. You're keeping me at arm's length. And she loves me. Listen up. I entered your house. And this is amazing. You gave me no water for my feet. Now Luke gives us a little background we didn't know before. Jesus walked into the Pharisee's house. He's got money. And what is obviously awkwardly missing? There's no water for his feet. I mean, this is, this is cultural, regular, normative rule. If you come over to my house to eat, I give you water for your feet. It's like if you came over and like some of us had water to drink with our meal and you and your wife didn't get a cup with anything to drink. Part of you would... Why, what, what are you doing? That's what it was like. No water for his feet. Simon the Pharisee would not give Jesus water for his feet. What's the woman doing? I'll wash your feet. Verse 45, he says to the Pharisee, you gave me no kiss. Again, this would be a normal, warm, ancient Near Eastern greeting, a kiss. Simon didn't do that. You came over. I didn't shake your hand. I didn't give you a hug. I didn't pat you on the shoulder. I, I stayed away. What did she do? 
She's kissing and embracing my feet. You gave me no oil, Jesus says. Again, it's normative. I'm not really into this. If you'd like, when you come over, I'll give you some oil and you can, you know. But again, ancient Near Eastern standards, it's normal. It's normal hospitality. It's what a host owes a guest. And Simon withheld it. And what did this woman give? She's anointed my feet with her greatest treasure. Simon, you're cold. She's devoted. Why? You know, it's amazing. Jesus is saying to Simon, she's being a better host to me than you are, and it's your house. Why? What's the difference, right? We ask this question. What's the difference between the one who's distant and cold and the one who's devoted and in love? And it goes to our, our parable. Jesus told us. It's because she's forgiven. Verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are, what? They're many. Now does Jesus, when she comes in, does Jesus go, hey kid, it's all right. You, we know you had uh, hard situations. You don't have any sin to worry about. Is that what Jesus says? No, what does he admit? Straight up. Therefore her sins, which are many. It's true. It's true. Her sins are many, but they are forgiven. And she loves much, but he is forgiven little, loves little. And he looks to her and he says, your sins are forgiven. Incredible. So what do you see? What's the difference between those who are interested but cold and those who are deeply devoted? What's the difference? She sees something he doesn't see. Go back to the parable. Who's the money lender? It's Jesus. Everything you have and everything you are, Jesus says, it's mine. You owe it to me. Some look like they owe more. Their lives are a little more dumpster fire looking. <laughs> Some, oh, they look like they owe a little less. But she saw something. What did she see? She saw her sin. She saw it. You know, maybe it's easier for sinners to see their sin. Maybe that's why the tax collectors were quicker to come to Jesus than the Pharisees. Because it's just easier when you've burnt all your bridges, when you've messed everything up. You don't have to, it doesn't take as long to be convinced. I'm a sinner. She saw it, but she didn't just see her sin. What else did she see? Jesus, complete and total and absolute forgiveness. And now we know why she's there. Now we know. Because in the, the way the Greek works in this, he's not saying she came and washed my feet and now I guess, oh, okay, I'll forgive you. No, no, no. There's some event we, we didn't get to see. There's some moment from days or weeks past where these two already had an encounter and Jesus forgave her. The Greek said she's already totally forgiven. 
So why is she now here? Why is she looking for him? Why is she dumping her greatest treasure on him? Because she's celebrating his forgiveness. She's the one in the parable who owed much, and now she loves much. She, she can't help but lavishly love Jesus because she's so amazed by this apparent dichotomy that exists in the same idea, how deep and horrible and wretched a sinner I am and how massively and completely loved and forgiven and accepted I am at the same time. This is grace, folks. This is the unpacking of the word grace. Totally undeserving, lavishly loved simultaneously. Man, we struggle with this. We struggle with this. We like to think our sins are a little bit, and of course Jesus can forgive us. And that leads you to a little love cold towards Jesus. Or we think my sins are great. There's no way he can love me. So I stay distant. I can't trust him. But the magic happens. God's spirit is at work. When you see two things simultaneously, number one, what? I'm a wretched sinner. And number two, what? I am lavishly loved and totally forgiven. And then something pops in your heart. The coldness melts. And you have love for Jesus. And by the way, this is a picture of faith, folks. Verse 50, Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Faith understands the wretchedness of your sin and the lavish reality of Jesus' love and forgiveness of that sin. Together. Together. So the woman sees, but who doesn't see it? Simon doesn't see it. Simon doesn't see it. You know, it's so amazing. Simon had that thought. You remember his thought? He sees the woman doing all this on Jesus' feet. You remember what he thought, what he said to himself? Do you remember? She's a sinner. Jesus is not a prophet. But you remember that phrase. Who did he say it to? I just want you to really land on that. Who did he say it to? Himself. And then, and then what does Jesus start talking about right after that? Jesus responds to him. Jesus answers Simon's thoughts. Oh, behold, the irony. You are not a prophet, Simon says, because you are associating with sinners. And Jesus will now associate with the man who denies that Jesus is a prophet by responding to his thoughts, which he never verbally expressed. I think that evening, Simon woke up like this. I never told him I was thinking that. I want to I dig in on Simon here with you for a second. I want to think of signs where we, where we might be like Simon. Signs were like Simon. And then I want to look, look at what Jesus wants Simon to know. Signs we might be like Simon. We see others as wretched sinners, but vindicate ourselves as good people on our own. 
We see others as wretched sinners, but vindicate ourselves as good people on our own. You need to be careful, you need to be honest, because there's a million ways to do this. A Pharisee can do it to a prostitute, that's easy enough. But you know what, some prostitutes can do it to Pharisees. I'm at least nice to people like me, the prostitute could say. That Pharisee is self-righteous, he's the real sinner. I'm, I'm just gonna throw this out there. Anybody can do it to anybody. We can do this politically. The right, we know the truth. Maybe, maybe we know some truth. But the left, they're wicked. We're good, they're bad. Or the left, we, we care, we're compassionate. The right, they're harsh. We're good, they're bad. I'm righteous in and of myself. Those people are sinners. We get half of it right, because guess what? Those people are sinners. Where's the lie? I'm righteous on my own. That's the lie. It's a lie. I mean, are you sitting here today? It's the old question. If I ask you, you know, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven? Why or why not? Well, I'm a, what are you gonna put on your resume? I went to church, I'm a Republican. I've helped the poor, I've given to charity. What, I'm young. Uh, I met with somebody for lunch once. I, I, what, what have you done? What's on your list? I, I give money or, I, or, or I, I serve a lot, I help, I, I whatever. Stop. It's not enough. But when we do that, then we look at others who don't do it in the same way. You might be like Simon, or your, or your heart maybe is having a Simon-like day. Second clue, you're like Simon. You're staying distant from Jesus. Distant. Do you see the difference between Simon and the prostitute? He's, he has Jesus over. See, this is the danger. He comes to church. He's listening. But when it comes to actually surrendering or giving or investing or handing life over, Simon's staying back. There's stuff you can't have. Jesus, there's stuff you can't have. Are you doing that? Don't do that. Don't go to church, read your Bible sometimes, but then say to Jesus, there's stuff you can't have. That's a sign. You're like Simon. I'm staying distant. You can, you can sit at my table, you're not getting water for your feet. Whereas, look at this woman. What is she holding back from Jesus? Nothing. The greatest identity marker and treasure that she owned, her alabaster flask, she broke and dumped it at his feet. What's your flask? What's your identity marker, your treasure, the thing you hold on to? Are you keeping it over here and keeping Jesus over there, or are you saying, oh my gosh, I'm such a sinner, and you're such a loving Savior, take it. Here's what Simon needs to see. Sin is more than doing bad things. Sin is more than doing bad things. Was her life ugly? Does she have many sins? Yes. But fundamentally, he's missing part of this parable. The, the prostitute and the Pharisee are the same. They owed something to the moneylender, and what? They could not pay. They could not pay. The debt is too great. The standard is too high. They can't pay it back. They cannot fulfill it. They're hopeless. They are a hopeless sinner before the money lender. He doesn't see it. He doesn't see it. He, Jesus is shocked that he'll 
or Simon is shocked that Jesus will let the prostitute wash his feet, but he's not shocked that Jesus will sit with him at the same table. He doesn't see, uh, he sees that the prostitute has a debt she can't pay. He doesn't see that he has a debt he can't pay because part of it is sin is more than just doing bad things. You know what the core of sin is? Autonomous independence away from God. Self-trust, self-rule. I'm in charge of my life. Some rebel against God with big, ugly sins. Being a prostitute. But others rebel against God with good deeds. Do you know that? We rebel against God with good deeds. I've had these conversations. I don't need Jesus to be Lord of my life. I, I went to a soup kitchen. I'm good. I don't need Jesus to be Lord of my life. I'm a Pharisee. I care about moral purity. I don't, need to be, I don't need Jesus to be Lord of my life. I've, I've got this moral stuff on my resume. So where these good deeds become the vessel for rebellion against God. You can rebel with these huge sins or you can rebel with religion. And Simon says, or Jesus says to Simon, I know, I know, Simon I am a prophet, and I've shown you that. I'm more than a prophet. I'm responding to your thoughts. I'm God, Simon. And when I came to your house, you wouldn't give God, who came over for lunch, water for his feet. And you think you're good? You wouldn't give the Son of God, who came to earth, oil for his head, and you think you're good? What sin is worse, selling your body on the street or being cold to the Son of God when he's in your living room? Simon doesn't see. Our coldness towards Jesus is the sin. It is the sin. Our keeping him at arm's length. Oh, I did some religious stuff. That's enough. And so Jesus wants to break our hearts. He wants to break our hearts. Those who have been forgiven much, what do they do? They love much. Those who have been forgiven much love much. And this is his love. This is his love. Do you, who's happier in this room? Who's happier in this room? The Pharisee, the prostitute, which one? The prostitute is weeping with a certain joy. She's found her greatest treasure. It's no longer this nasty thing on her neck. It's the son of God. She's happy. You, you realize the one who knows their sin most honestly is the one who is happiest. People will say, why do you always talk about sin all the time? Every message, sin, sin, sin. You know what? I talk about sin so that you can be happy. I want you to be happy. Because if you deny the reality of this debt you cannot pay on your own, you're living a lie. You have distance towards Jesus. He's far away, you don't wanna go. You're doing these things to try to assert yourself or be good enough or be valid enough. I did it enough, therefore I'm okay. And you're in this horrid machine, just confess your sin. 
I have nothing. I'm wretched. And Jesus, when you trust yourself to him, says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, when he tells everybody that this woman is forgiven, it's not because she needs to know it. I'm sure it was nice for her to hear it again. But it's not because she needs to know it. She already knows that's why she's here. You know why Jesus says it to her? So everyone else will know it. The woman on the street that you demean, that you deny, that you don't like, that you stay away from, she's restored. All, everybody, listen up. Restored. We don't care about your background and fountain of life. Amen? We don't care about the mistakes you made in, in, in your background. Amen? There's, there's nobody higher or lower or better here at Fountain of Life. There are sinners who cannot pay, and there is Jesus, and when you trust him, you are restored fully and completely. Isn't that beautiful? So folks, be happy. See what Simon can't see. See the debt you cannot pay, which even if it was only coldness towards Jesus, that would be enough. Know you're a sinner and pour it at his feet. Hear his words that say, though your sins are many, you are forgiven and you are loved and your coldness will melt and you'll be filled with this desire to pour yourself out at his feet. I love the response of the people watching, those who were at the table, we don't know anything about them. What a show they had this afternoon. <laughs> what a show. Verse 49, then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And that's where we need to land. Who is this? Who is this? How can he say to a prostitute and to a self-righteous Pharisee who would trust him, you're forgiven? I like how Paul puts this in Colossians 2:13. Jesus is the son of God. Luke's been telling us that from start to finish. And look at what he's done for us. Colossians 2:13. And you who were what? Dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Who's that? Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. How can Jesus forgive your and my huge and horrid sin? He's the money lender, and guess who takes the cost? He does. He could look at that prostitute and say, your sins are forgiven because he's gonna wear them a couple years later. He can look at you and say, your sins are forgiven because he wore them on the cross 2,000 years ago. They really are forgiven. Your debt, did you see how Paul put it? Your debt that you could not pay, he has disregarded, he has set aside because it was nailed to the 
cross. The difference, my friends, between cold and devoted is that the cold deny their own sin and Jesus' love. But the devoted see the reality of their own sin and simultaneously know Jesus' grace in forgiving them. That's the difference. And I hope your heart feels it. So as we conclude, two things for you. Be honest and humble enough to admit your sin and trust Jesus. Trust that he's forgiven you. Second thing to do, look for ways to love him lavishly. I really respect this prostitute for one thing. How much uh, concern does she seem to have towards how other people think about her? You know, when she walks into the room and Jesus is at the table, is she looking at everybody else and going, mm-hmm. they might not like this. I don't want them to see. Is that on her mind at all? No, she's overwhelmed by his love. She doesn't care who sees. She wants him to see. Jesus uses this as an example that will be preached to his people for till he comes back. Are, are you afraid to love Jesus lavishly? You know your sin, you know you've been forgiven. Are, are, you, are you embarrassed if somebody goes, that person loves Jesus? Do you wanna be known like that? It seems like that person loves Jesus too much. What does it mean for your life to love Jesus so lavishly that people notice? I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna practice loving Jesus lavishly together. Two more things. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. What's that all about, people? This is my body. I went to the cross for you. This is my blood. You're forgiven. You're loved. So in our hearts, let's confess our sins and love Jesus lavishly. And then we're going to sing. Then we're going to sing. Does Jesus like our singing? I don't know why, but he does. It's commanded. There's actually a Bible verse for Play loud crashing cymbals. And all the drummers and rockers said, amen. Why do we play viscerally, emotionally, and sing together? It's not a show, it's singing together. Why? Because we're sinners who can't pay. And Jesus has forgiven us. And so we want to love him lavishly. Let's pray and we'll do this. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.